0: We are April and Scott, creators of NaughtyGym.com, and this is the Naughty Gym Show.
1: For years, we've been fitness and nutrition coaches to thousands of people through our commercial gyms and online platform. We've also spent nearly a decade in an ever evolving open relationship.
0: This show brings together two of our biggest passions fitness and sex positivity. Our mission is to maximize the physical and mental health of anyone brave enough to explore relationship structures that run counter to societal norms.
1: We have demolished our old ways of thinking about relationships and from that rubble, built a life full of happiness, adventure, and vitality. And now we wanna help you do the same.
0: So hop on the treadmill, start the show, and let us teach you how to never stop playing. Hi, guys. It is April and Scott with the Naughty Gym Show and naughtygym.com. And we are, this is episode number two of our podcast. We did a backstory of me, my backstory, and kind of my history and why I am the way I am. I don't know. Nobody, that's going to take a lot of doctors to figure out why I am the way I am. But today we're going to be discussing a little bit of Scott's history and who he is and why he is the way he is. Why are you this way? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Your questions. It's a pretty
0: fascinating story, I think, but it brings us to why naughty Jim. We're going to, we're going to bring it from little bitty baby, chubby Scott to today, 2023 Scott. And
1: I have no idea what you're going to ask. You don't should be interesting.
0: (laughs) Uh, It is really a fascinating story. So we're just going to get right into it. Um, I want to know, tell our listeners, um, you grew up in an ultra-conservative, super-religious family, right?
1: Yeah, especially my extended family. Right. My mom and dad were conservative because we're raised in the South, but probably not as
0: conservative as my aunts and uncles. Right. That's right. Yeah. Your parents didn't really go to church, right? Or didn't they went to church like for their family, but they didn't, like you weren't having home Bible studies and stuff like that. It was almost kind of your choice because your extended family who you were really close to. Well,
1: so we went to church every Sunday morning, me, my brother, and my mother. Okay. Dad never went with us. Right. Um, His parents were super religious, but he just never went. And, uh, So we went consistently on Sunday, but yes, we didn't have, we weren't talking about God and the Bible and religion outside of church. We went on Sunday morning, I guess, checked the box that we were there and came home. And that was the extent of our religiosity.
0: And which sect was it?
1: (laughs) A very conservative uh, branch of Christianity called the Church of Christ. And uh, it was deep South Church of Christ, which is, Lean's even more conservative than maybe some other parts of the country.
0: Yeah, I came from Chicago. I had never even heard of the Church of Christ. I thought there was Catholicism and Baptists. <laughs> That's really as far as as what I thought uh, and Lutheran. Um, but so when I came to the South, there's many, many different versions of even the Baptist Church um, and then the Church of Christ, which there's also from what I understand, many different versions of the church of Christ.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of them. There's actually the last I looked, there was 30 something thousand different denominations of Christianity worldwide. Right. Uh, but yeah, even in our hometown, there's probably, there, there's some churches of Christ that call the other churches of Christ down the street, the liberal ones. Right. And some are more conservative. It's just nuts.
0: But yeah. Which from an outsider, um, there are no liberal Church of Christ. <laughs> right. They are all very, very conservative and very, very legalistic. Would yes. Yeah, all of them say? are
1: conservative and all of them think they're right. And anybody that's left of them is liberal. Anybody that's right of them
0: is being ridiculous. Right. Yeah. So we're going to come back to that a little bit more. But I want to talk about your parents and kind of your upbringing, because you had— um, your parents are both very kind. We're both very kind people. Um, From an outsider, very loving um, and very good parents, right?
1: Yeah, of course, my dad passed away a few years ago. Uh, Dad changed. He was a a very, I don't know, there's a, a, he was a stereotypical Southern gruff dad. He, He wasn't affectionate in the sense that we were getting hugs all the time right. and that sort of thing, but he was never mean to us. Um, he you know, took us to our sports practices and encouraged us to do well in school and, and was kind to us, mm-hmm. but not overly affectionate. He became more, a little bit more that way as he got older right. um, or as we got older, but as a kid, not so much. Mom was always super affectionate. The loving housewife cooked all the meals, did all the laundry Uh, did all the housework and took care of most of our, I would say most of our upbringing while dad worked. Um, So, yeah, but they were both wonderful parents, maybe not so much a wonderful marriage, but they loved us, treated us well. And yeah, I had a, I had a good upbringing with two parents that loved me.
0: Right. And they ended up getting a divorce.
1: Yep. They divorced in my, well, they were started the process of getting divorced when I was a senior in high school Immediately upon graduation, I went off to uh, boot camp in the Navy, and I think that divorce got finalized while I was in boot camp, actually. Okay.
0: So when you were growing up, though, you played a lot of sports, you Mm -hmm. were very active, you were a little bit of an overachiever, right? You um, excelled at every sport you played. (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, some better than others, but... Um,
0: At least that's the story you've given me. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I mean, I, yeah, I, there were sports that I weren't built very well for. I was very small, so I never played football. Yeah. You know, like flag football in the backyard. But yeah, I made the all-star teams on my sports And, <laughs> and that was the thing I loved more than anything. competition.
0: Right. And tennis was your first love?
1: No, tennis actually came... Well, I, I grew up... I, the first... Um, Athletic sports teams I played on were baseball. Right, that was my dad's primary passion. We grew up from the time that I was physically capable of doing it. Dad would say, "Hey, let's. You want to go out here and throw some?" And so he'd grab his catcher's mitt, I'd grab my baseball glove, and we'd go out in the backyard and throw. And I loved doing that, and I did it almost every day. So baseball was the first sport that I got involved with. Uh, I ultimately ended up trying a lot of different sports. Tennis came a little bit later uh, in my athletic sports team career, but it was the thing that I loved
0: the most. When you say later, I started high school, junior high.
1: Yeah, I started playing um, semi-regularly, probably in middle school, and then very seriously right. uh, as soon as I started high school.
0: And who did you play with mostly? Uh,
1: Mostly my first cousin, who was the same age as me. Uh, He and I grew up as close as brothers and played all the sports together, did all the things together. And uh, yeah, he and I started playing, especially when we got a driver's license and could drive ourselves everywhere. We played every day all the time without, you know, with no rest.
0: Right. Not much of a partier?
1: (laughs) No. uh, (laughs) To the best of my knowledge, I went my entire high school, my entire childhood without ever going to a single party or anything that somebody would reasonably call up.
0: And what's funny to me is <laughs> I I had asked you, I'm like, well, because your parents wouldn't let you go to parties? And your response was, I never even asked to go to a party. No, it's,
1: <laughs> it's not like I was, I was so, uh, I, I, I wasn't like this goody two-shoes that just didn't want to It wasn't that I wanted to go to parties and, you know, resisted that temptation and just said, no, I am too good for that. I'm not going to party. (laughs) It just, I never wanted to go. I never had an interest. I would rather go play tennis or I'd rather (laughs) go hit some golf balls or shoot basketball. And going to parties was just never on the radar for me, even though I knew a lot of my friends were going to different parties and occasionally I would get asked, but I just, at that time also was not very, I was pretty introverted. Right. And so I would have, I would have been nervous going. I was a real small kid. I, I you know, people didn't really pick on me or anything because probably because I was good in athletics. But right. uh, I also wasn't one of the real popular kids either. So I, I didn't want to go and just sit in the corner and not. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. I just didn't. Wouldn't have known what to do with my hands. So <laughs> I never went to a single party.
0: No, uh, big girlfriends or sexual experiences in your high school. Career, uh, uh,
1: not for not wanting them. Uh, nobody would showed any interest. I did have a few little girlfriends as I got um, probably my junior year. I think I, I may have went out on my first couple of dates. Yeah, um, but no, I definitely was not getting the attention of the women in <laughs> high school. I've, I've done a little bit better with that as I've gotten <laughs> older.
0: But I, I think you've done pretty better. well. Thanks for listening. If you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to leave us a review. If you're watching on YouTube, click like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our future content.
1: Now here's a quick announcement about the coolest event ever to happen at Hedonism Resort.
0: We would like to invite you to a first of its kind event unlike anything ever done at Hedonism Resort in the Grill Jamaica. It's called Be Better at Being Bad Week. This is the fittest party in the lifestyle.
1: Now this doesn't mean you have to be a hard body to attend. This party's for anyone and everyone who wants to improve their relationship and communication dynamics, increase their sexual health, learn better wellness practices and explore and expand their mind, body and sexuality.
0: Experts from around the world will descend on Hito to help you be better at being bad. Daily keynote talks, interactive technique sessions at the nude and prude pools, exciting competitions and workouts, integration workshops on cannabis and psychedelics, intimate couples yoga, speed dating, and workshops in the Kama Sutra Palace, all the nightly themed parties and entertainment that you've come to expect from Hito and the grand finale the Red Ball.
1: This event is perfect for people exploring the idea of opening their relationship. Special sessions led by the Naughty Gym, t- Naughty Gym team of experts will guide you through various Q&A and orientation sessions to help you get to know your fellow attendees.
0: Veterans of the lifestyle can expect all the same high-energy sexy parties and electrifying entertainment that made Hito famous with a little extra flair from the Be Better at Being Bad team.
1: Everyone will leave with a wealth of new tools and experiences curated by our All-Star Our team of professionals designed to improve your journey through consensual non monogamy.
0: So, what are you waiting for? Join us January 6th through the 13th of 2024 at Hedonism Resorts for Be Better at Being Bad Week and get ready for the fittest party in the lifestyle.
1: Now, back to the show.
0: But you did have a girlfriend your senior year.
1: Yeah, I got my first, what I would say would be my first serious girlfriend in my senior year of high school. And uh, that is where probably the biggest part of my story starts. Yes. Yeah. So I, uh, we ended up, I mean, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into our yeah, relationship. Let's hear but, it. <laughs> uh, I had never done anything with a girl before other than a, a couple of those first semi girlfriends. I guess you call yeah. them. I had exchanged a couple of kisses on the cheek or something. Yeah. But, uh, my first uh, real girlfriend came in around the fall of my first semester of my senior year of high school and we didn't really get to date because she was always having to babysit her I think it was her nieces she was living at the time with a a brother and sister-in-law I I don't know if I'll get the details of that right but anyway we would go over there and I would just hang out with her while she was babysitting while her brother and sister who were older would go out and use that as an opportunity
0: no. And you ultimately ended up getting her pregnant. Yeah. So we ultimately,
1: <laughs> eventually we started having sex. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm surprised I was even able to get somebody pregnant. I was so inexperienced.
0: <laughs> I mean, you knew how that worked though, right?
1: I don't know how I knew. Nobody's like nobody ever. I never, I think I'd seen a porn or
0: something one time. But, but you didn't like think like that's how people got pregnant. You just kind of. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think I knew, but
1: look, I had a girl that was paying me attention. And when things started happening, the only thing I was thinking about was like, oh my God, this is happening. Not, huh, I wonder if I could get her pregnant during all of this. Uh, So I sort of knew how things worked. Don't know where that information got into my brain from. Uh, But yeah, we had sex and very quickly into us having sex, probably within the first month, she got pregnant. Right.
0: Okay. And so you have two beautiful girls, but. Shortly after graduation, you thought, you know, what am I going to do with a kid? You guys got married and you joined the Navy. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I had no career ambitions. <laughs> what do you do at 18? I, I had assumed that I was going to
1: go to, uh, you know, I had some college scholarship offers to play tennis. That was the plan was to go to college yeah. and play tennis. And now, because, you know, I I, I was a staunch uh, believer in don't get an abortion because of my conservative upbringing. So I knew she was going to have the baby. I wanted her to have the baby, uh, but I didn't know how I was going to take care of her, how to pay. I didn't know how much a pregnancy or a delivery of a baby (laughs) cost. I didn't know if that was $50 or $20,000 and how do people pay for that stuff. Um, And we didn't tell our parents for two or three months because mostly because we were terrified, Right. Sure. but we were trying to figure out a plan like, all right, I don't want to go to them and just say, what do I do now? I right. wanted to seem have like have a solution. Well, yeah, I wanted <laughs> to seem like I might have some level of maturity to get through this by having a plan. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So I went and did something I never thought I would do, and that's talk to a military recruiter. Because I, I knew I couldn't get a real job. I had no experience, but maybe the military will take me.
0: Yeah.
1: Went and talked to a recruiter. They made it sound really cool and fun. And plus, the military would pay all my medical bills and I'd have a good income to help raise a family with. And I signed up or at least committed to signing up. But because I was still 17, I couldn't sign up legally without my parents' signature. And I can't remember now, I think that I actually talked them into letting me go into the military before I revealed to them um, that my girlfriend was pregnant. I, I think that's correct. I'd have to check my mom on that. But uh, And I know that they agreed to let me do it, but were very shocked because I was not growing up. I was not the military type. I was go outside, play sports, go to school, get my scholarship, go to college. Right. That was my plan.
0: Okay, let's pivot a little bit. We don't need all those details. Okay, sorry. Uh, much detail. We're gonna we are we want to get to the meat and potatoes okay. of like so you guys got married, you had two kids, that marriage ended within four to five years, right? It was not a very long marriage.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right? It ended at the roughly the four and a
0: half year. During that time though, you're still super religious. Yep. Um, you still your best friend is now the pastor of the church that you attend.
1: Yeah, that church called them preachers and didn't believe in the word pastor. for a preacher. Oh, preachers. But, okay.
0: <laughs> I, I apologize. Also, women are not allowed to speak. <laughs> That's correct. In those churches. So you're lucky. I'm and you you're talk. not allowed to have musical instruments as well, right? Not in church services. Not in church services. Correct. Um, you married again.
1: Uh, yeah, so I divorced at four and a half years. Yeah. Probably was married
0: within six months of divorcing the first woman. Right. I get married again. Yes. Very quickly. Moved very fast. Very fast. Yeah. Because you like the idea of marriage or um, you felt like you needed to because you had two children?
1: Probably. I mean, it wasn't a thought process like that, but all of a sudden I had gone four years of being in the Navy with my young wife and now two babies, two right. daughters. Um And I had, I mean, it was a very, I went from a high schooler to a father of two in the Navy on my own away from my home. And I had, I was used to having a house full of people and support and chaos. Right. And now all of a sudden uh, I was divorced, living alone. My ex-wife and daughters were back in our home state of Alabama and I'm alone. And that sucked. Right. So the first girl I started seeing after that divorce, you know, I, Ramped up pretty quickly, and we ended up getting married. <laughs>
0: right, and that marriage lasted how long?
1: Uh, probably another four or five
0: years. Okay, something like that. Didn't have any children. You only have no. two children. Correct. Um, so that marriage ended. Yep. And then, how long until your next marriage?
1: Uh, that one, I think there was a little bit of a break, two or three years. Okay, something like that. Uh, I had committed to myself at that time to not get married quickly because mm-hmm. I felt like, well, it's two marriages I've ruined. Um, so maybe I just suck at marriage. So take your time. And my, uh, what I had told all of my friends was I'm not going to get married to anybody unless all of you guys are telling me now, well, how long are you going to wait? You should marry this person. What are you doing? Right. And I maybe kind of right. and, eh, maybe kinda did that, but not really. <laughs> I'd say three years. I think, to get you got married. The wife number two. Right. I'm number four. I'm really proficient at getting people. <laughs> right. You Apparently, are very
0: convincing.
1: <laughs> I must be a good salesman. I don't know.
0: So let's explore those three, I guess you could say failed marriages. I don't really love that word because I think you kind of learn from all those. But do you see when you look back any common themes or patterns in those marriages that may have caused them to fail? Or was your religious upbringing maybe a contribution to the failing of those marriages?
1: Uh, I don't. So, you know, looking back on it, I can think of a thousand things I did poorly as a husband or things that I would say they didn't do very well. But I don't feel like I'm a bad person and Mm -hmm. I certainly don't feel like any of them were. And in hindsight, after now you and I being married. Our marriage is drama free, fight free. We don't argue. We don't. Yeah. It, it is so easy. But if you would ask me after a third divorce, uh, am I a good husband or am my good husband material? I said, well, obviously not, because these three marriages have not worked. And they and, and in those marriages, we fought all the time. We were always at each other's throats. Didn't agree on anything. So I don't look back and think there was the the, the biggest issue was that. I don't think we were good matches for each other. Right. Any of those three. I, and the only reason I feel confident in saying that is because I recognize that you and I are. Right. Because I've not changed who I am to make mine and your marriage uh, much, you know, this great thing that it is. Right.
0: So you would say it's safe to say that. uh they just didn't maybe like who you were as a person or that didn't jive well with them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean,
1: I don't know that they didn't like me as a person or if I didn't like them as a person young or at least the first couple. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think I rushed into those relationships, not knowing the type of person that was best suited for me. Sure. And uh, you know, I got lucky now and found one suited for me.
0: <laughs> okay. So Our relationship started, we talked about this in um, our, in in the episode where I kind of told our backstory about our affair and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to go into a lot of detail about that, but I do want to, because while we went through that together, we both had very different journeys on how we came through that. So, you know, you lost your business, you lost your best friends and your family. So tell a little bit about the headspace that you were in while going through that and how you kind of came out of that.
1: Yeah. I'll try to make it quick. Cause like you say, we covered some of this in your episode. Mm-hmm. but yeah, it was easily the most difficult time of my life. 100% my fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the affair that caused all of these dominoes to start to fall and, and, and caused all the problems in our life. But, uh, It still was something I had to deal with and get through. And it was not easy. I lost my family at the time. I lost the business that I had built from my backyard. Right. And I was left with nothing. And then trying to start over and even figure out what starting over looked like. Was I going to stay in the fitness world? You and I going to get married or have a relationship, which I don't think either of us ever questioned that. Um, But, yeah, it was just a starting over point. And I had to believe that. You know, there was another life for me out there somewhere, but man, after three failed marriages, you just start to think, well, you know, I don't either shouldn't get married or be in a relationship or I yeah. need to go to some counseling or something.
0: But- well, so the affair became public. You lost your business. Right. Uh, obviously you lost your marriage, your home, uh, your family, and your dad was really a rock for you during that time.
1: Yeah, so my dad lived out on a, he had a house out on the lake and it was pretty private and away from town and so that became my uh safe space. Yeah. Because it was it was tough to even do anything around our hometown because it you know a lot of people knew about this whole thing. Yeah. the the affair and so it was just difficult to feel comfortable walking around out in a small town in Alabama and you know thinking you're probably being judged. Right. And so I just stayed out at my dad's house trying to Plot the next course, and yeah. that's where you would come out to see me. Yeah. Uh, so you could get away from the eyes that were on you as well, and, right. and so, Dad was fantastic. He he supported me. You know, he said, "Look, my dad was very to the point." Yeah. He, uh, he said, "Son, that was dumb what you did." Uh, he said, "But you know, you're welcome out here. We'll have fun <laughs> while you're here." I, I mean, he was just a he was just a goofy. Different individual, yeah. <laughs> but I loved
0: him. But he did support you. He was, he became kind of your number one fan and
1: well, not just my encourager, one fan, but, but your number yeah. one fan as well. He was he, very uh, kind to me. He never really took to any of my ex wives um, <laughs> much, you know. And I don't know if that was because he looked at me as his son and that I could do no wrong. I doubt it, knowing him, <laughs> but uh, he really took to you. Yeah. And, uh, he told me that, and he was not the type of person to throw those kinds of words around lightly. Right. I mean, he was not an outwardly affectionate, overly, um, you know, he wasn't the type of person to give a lot of
0: affirmation, affirmation, yeah, that sort of thing. Sure. But yeah, he
1: really liked you, and he made it clear he had no idea why you had any interest in, <laughs> in me. Uh, so, yeah, was, he was just
0: glad that I did. He was a big fan yeah. of
1: yours, fairly big fan of yeah.
0: mine. Was, so. So you had him on your team because, and why that was important is because your best friend and family that you grew up with—I mean, he was like a brother to you—basically disowned you after the affair. Your ex-wife kind of—they took her side and took her in—and still to this day, they have nothing to do with you.
1: Yeah, for the most part. I—I I mean, I know if i's... we we have
0: varying differing opinions on this. Um, Yeah.
1: I I still would tell you that I love him like a brother. Right. Um, That's been a very difficult part of this journey for me is I understand him very well and he is committed to his religious beliefs and he's one of the kindest people I've ever known. He would give you the shirt off his back. Uh, But because of his views of, uh, Christianity and the Bible and stuff, he believes that if he uh, supports me too much or maybe any at all, then it's as if he is giving a thumbs up to the direction I have chosen to take my life now and my relationship with you. And
0: in their eyes, you're condemned to hell, right? Because you had an affair and then remarried. So you're perpetually living in a state of sin. That's correct. Right.
1: And that's tough for them to hang out with somebody they know is going to hell.
0: Right. But they've also not reached out to you to try to save you, Um,
1: Uh, (laughs) uh, which is
0: strange. So where we differ is you do think that he is kind and loving because you know him as a person. I never got that chance. right? And I think it's a very it could not be more unkind and unloving for someone, especially who says that they are um, a man of God who God is supposed to be love, according to their religion, to disown you in such a harsh and brutal way.
1: Well, yeah, and I, and I understand why you would view it that way. I, there was never like a time where he said, I now certify that I disown you. Right. So disown maybe well, you a You weren't
0: strong... invited to family functions. Well, like... I've, I'm
1: invited sort of tangentially, you know, mom, they'll, they'll like his dad will tell my mom, you know, make sure you invite all your family. But
0: Well, now they do, but at first they didn't.
1: Yeah. Well, and and plus I did and I didn't want to go. Right. Uh, Not that I didn't want to see everybody, but I didn't want to take that uh, bad energy in there because the whole family is Church of Christ. Right. And I knew that my presence there was going to make an uncomfortable situation worse. Right. And that's Christmas or it's Thanksgiving. and
0: I think that was very kind of you.
1: Well, I want them to. I brought enough sort of pain or maybe even shame in their eyes to the family through our affair. I don't want to go just showing up at family functions to prove a point. Right. Like, Ooh, I'm still a part of this family. I'm coming, whether you guys right. want me to or not. Sure. And it's not that they would, they would never say they don't want me there, mm-hmm. but it's just not comfortable for anybody. Right. And so I've stayed away.
0: Yeah. Did that help with your, deconstruction process? Or did that process start before all of this as far as you are no longer religious? No,
1: I would call myself an atheist now. Yes.
0: Tell me a little bit about that
1: journey. Uh, Well, to answer the first part of that question, no, I don't think anything that they did since our affair and all the scandal and all that kind of stuff had anything to do with that process, because I'd already gotten to that point by then anyway.
0: Okay. Were they aware of that?
1: Uh, no, I, I don't think. I think they were suspicious, concerned. My ex-wife knew that I had began moving at the very least to a much more progressive view of Christianity. Sure. Um, and I had told her, I, you know, anytime I would try to have a conversation about that, she didn't want to have it because it was an uncomfortable conversation. Right. And I just kind of avoided it. Um and I never had that conversation uh, with my best friend, and my cousin. Although he knew that I had begun moving away from some of the maybe particular, the peculiarities of that particular denomination, right. the Church of Christ, uh, and, and towards a more progressive or maybe mainstream view of Christianity. But no, I don't think they had any idea of how far, and may still not, unless they hear this podcast, that I would consider myself an atheist. That was a long process of, at a minimum, five years. Maybe ten, because I can I'm not even sure I can identify exactly when it started sure. or when it ended, uh, but it was not an easy process for me because I grew up here in an area of the country where 90 plus percent of the population believes in God, or at least at that time did. Yeah. you know, certainly as a child when I was that young, they did. Uh, and so I just accepted it, not because I had rationally worked through the arguments of why God exists, or you know how we know what we know. I just accepted it because I grew up in it, and all the best people I knew were Christian and believed in God, and why would I not believe in it? You know, that, right. kind, of, that kind of thing. As I started to question some of the things about my particular de- denomination, I started branching outside of my denomination for reading material or education. Yeah. And so I read books by different types of authors, and my opinions about some of the things I grew up uh, believing started to change. And then I started to question, well, if things about some of these real sort of mundane but peculiar facts about my church, I can change my opinion about that. Well, What about my opinions about everything? Yeah. Because I've never read stuff by authors who were atheists or gay or right. any, any, do you take any controversial topic? I had only ever read the opinions of people that I knew ahead of time believed or supported the things I already believed yeah. which is not a a real search for truth. If you hold a very dogmatic position about the existence of a God. Yeah. And yet you've never studied or read the opinions and works of the best minds on the atheist side of that position. Then I would say you have never really done a search for truth. You're probably, if you're anything like me, afraid to do that because that is scary shit. Right. When you're, when you really believe in your religion, it is scary to even pick up a book written by atheists, yeah. uh, so or
0: anybody outside of your sect of mm-hmm. religion, which is one of the reasons when I was in the church, I got chastised for reading a book that was not in our church library. Yeah, you know, it was from an author with a different right, and that's not a certain truth.
1: That means you think you already have the answers, and the only thing you're going to read are people that can just. Agreed. Give you further reason to believe what you already believe. Right. It's, it's not, you're not looking for answers or truth. You're just trying to make sure you have a good argument if anybody asks you why you believe what you do. <laughs> so at some point in this process, I became obsessed with all types of big question topics right and i started buying book after book and i had books scattered all around my house i had them in every bathroom every coffee table in my car at work i had them everywhere and i was reading multiple things at multiple times i read books on philosophy theology i listened to debates uh you know i I read books on physics and cosmology and and i was just obsessed with trying to learn the answers whatever i thought those answers were you know and after a while i it just got to the point after five six, seven years of obsessing over this stuff that I didn't have any answers. I just wanted to go outside and shoot basketball or play pickleball <laughs> or I, you know I just I didn't care anymore right all of these arguments seemed stupid and useless at that point and I just walked away because i I realized that I never had a rational reason for a belief in anything supernatural. I had just accepted it as a child because of my family and cultural upbringing. And I now knew all of the responses that any reputable atheist or non theist would give to a theist who presented their case. I don't know how many debates about these topics I've listened to. I know all the arguments going and coming and don't feel like I have any more access to what's true than I did before I started. Right. And, uh, So, I don't have a reason to believe that any of the religious claims I grew up believing are true. So, I walked away. And uh, that wasn't easy either. You know, kept thinking, what if I'm wrong? I'm going to end up in hell. Right. You know, Uh, but the further I got away from it and, uh, you know, in in time, the the more time I put between being a Christian and not being a Christian, the more, and this is going to sound offensive, and I don't mean it to be offensive, but the more absurd those beliefs seemed to me. Right, I couldn't justify believing in them, and uh, you know I've I've walked away from religion, and I'm comfortable. I feel happier, freer, and I don't I
0: don't hold animosity for religious believing people. That's what I was just going to say is because my deconstruction process was a little bit behind yours, and you never encouraged me to deconstruct. I mean, it wasn't like you were like, yeah, you know, religion sucks. You need to do this. You gave me the space that I needed to. And you were like, whatever you believe, you believe you went to church with me a few times as I was kind of trying to get the kids, you know, settled and on their own journey. Um, And
1: I would still go, right. That's what you want. Right. Right. That's it doesn't. There are things about church culture that I just detest. Yeah. um, But I don't, the church may, in some sense, church may be who I am. I mean, any, a lot of the good traits, you know, you know, I had those Bible class lessons about mm-hmm. being generous and being kind to people. Uh, so I don't hold animosity toward that part of religion. But when we start trying to enact laws that say, Hey, um, these two gay men or these two lesbian women cannot get married because it's not right in God's eyes. Right. Well, that's when religion is overstepping its bounds and trying to, Uh, restrict the people trying to restrict everybody because of the beliefs of a few or of a majority. Uh, And I hate that kind of stuff. Right. And I hate when people feel guilty or feel bad about themselves as a person because their religion has taught them that they should feel that
0: feel bad or shameful or right. Which brings me to my next question. Um, Sexuality. Let's talk a little bit about your journey into ethical non-monogamy, how you got started was because obviously you've said you didn't grow up in a very sexually open household. Right. You grew up very conservative. So, And I think you told me you had never even met somebody who was gay until much later in
1: life, until you had children. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I mean, grow like in school, high school, there were whispers that gay people might exist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's about it. I, I, or we might ridicule a kid who we thought acted too feminine by calling them gay. Right. But actually knowing somebody and having a conversation with them, absolutely not. There was never a gay person, a person of Latin descent, a person of African-American descent that ever set foot in my household as a child that Th- you, that uh, I, well, of course that I know. I mean, right. You may could have been a gay. One of my friends could have been gay. I didn't know it, but uh so I, I grew up in a very white heterocentric super conservative.
0: lifestyle. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Very privileged.
1: <laughs> I mean, we didn't right have any, here. we didn't have any money, but I yeah, mean, we,
0: but yeah. That's All right. Cool. So, so how did that journey? I mean, cause you are now a bisexual man in, an consensually non-monogamous open relationship. Where did that come from?
1: Uh, if, I guess it's part of that process of deconstructing from religion. I started letting go of some of the restrictive type ideas. And even still, those things aren't easy to say publicly that I am bisexual. Isn't hundred percent comfortable for sure. me. Though. Yeah. It's, it's getting more comfortable. It's not that hard for me to say now, uh, but it would be hard to say to certain people, right? people that I'm close to, um, you know, family or something, but um, of course, most of my family won't have anything to do with it. So.
0: So what was your first experience in anything either consensually non-monogamous or in the lifestyle?
1: So, yeah, my our first experience was with my previous marriage uh, and uh, she suggested a trip to a, a place and. You know, we went, but she didn't have any desires as far as I'm aware, for us to do anything with anybody else, it right. was just sort of a
0: uh, exciting yeah, kind an of exciting yeah. kind of
1: fun thing to go do. Um, and uh, she had gone to; she had already always told me she had been to a swingers party years before we had met, right. and I'd always been curious about that, um, and it asked a lot of questions, that kind of thing. But she didn't do anything at that party either, as far as I'm aware. Of it. So we went to a couple of different places: one in Georgia, one in Tennessee, and uh, man, it now that I wasn't shackled by the restraints of religion, I also didn't feel guilty for going right now. I think she may have, I don't know. Uh, I think she might still be religious, uh, but, uh, you know, it was an easy thing for me to go and do. And I, I thought, well, this is incredible. These people are so open and caring and wonderful. And yeah, sex can happen also. I'm like,
0: where has this been all my life? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, just, where are these people hiding?
1: I went from, a. Uh, it was just an incredibly, it, it was like shining a bright light on a whole new world yeah. to me that I didn't know existed.
0: Yeah,
1: You didn't feel any shame? No, I've never felt, I never felt shame about it. That By that time, I had already distanced myself from the shame of my religious beliefs enough yeah. that I didn't have any shame for that. Either.
0: Yeah. Okay. So how did that progress?
1: Well, it didn't really. Yeah. Uh, she and I never did anything anybody else not really and uh you know just went to some of those little parties yeah and but also at that time our marriage began to fall apart i i would attribute that primarily to the uh, gym that i had opened and it was taking a lot of my time and it was a big driving a big big wedge between us right. and we fought a lot and i ended up spending a lot of time sleeping on the couch And in that process somewhere, I mean, I don't remember how it all played out, but you and I, who had, we had been working together for a long time. You, I had hired you as one of my first coaches Mm -hmm. and we had worked together, um, platonically for years at my gym, but eventually we started getting closer, too close. We started, you know, having conversations that we probably shouldn't have had. Right. And, uh those conversations spilled over to me being on the couch at night and having the freedom to text. Because you
0: spent most of the last five years of your marriage on the couch.
1: Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say most of it, but increasingly, yeah, yeah, the time I spent on the couch got increasingly bigger and bigger, the closer
0: we got to this affair that you and I had. But not that that was the reason. Right. No, no, no. and we talked about in my story, there was no excuse for the affair and we were both yeah, wrong. Yeah. In
1: yeah. That was a horrible thing that we did. We could have handled this in a much better way. And we chose to do it What I feel like the cowardly way by having an affair. Right. We, we could have ended those relationships. And then if we wanted to pursue something, right. we could have Agreed. Agreed. Um, so in those late night text messages back and forth, I had told you about some of those trips yeah. she and I had taken. And, uh, You showed a lot of interest or curiosity, I guess. And, uh, there was a weekend where my, there was a weekend that we were able to get away together. And so we went to one of those places and that's how I got called. My phone tracker was on. I didn't even know how to log into it. You still don't. Still don't know how to log into it. Yeah. If I go anywhere now, you'll know, and I won't know that, you know, but Uh, I'm
0: uh, not tracking.
1: (laughs) Um, And, and so that's how the affair became uh, public. But, you know, we went to that and we had a blast.
0: Yeah. We didn't do anything with anybody else. No, we didn't. In fact, it was a a long
1: time before we actually did anything because it was terrifying. Yeah. Um, And, and, and we're in the middle of going through our divorces, committing to each other to start this new relationship between us. And we didn't want to mess that up. I mean, our marriages were now. At least partially in disarray because of the affair, we certainly didn't want to throw any sexual freakiness into what we were trying to build. If if we thought it was going to mess it up, yeah, you just—it's just scary. You just don't know, right? It was scary, and so we were very slow in getting started. Um, But we both knew that it was something we enjoyed, yeah, and and it it filled us full of energy and passion, and and yeah, I mean, it became a fun thing for us.
0: I will say, I don't understand how um, somebody could not just love and adore you (laughs) because you are one of the most beautiful communicators I've ever met. Um, I've never um, had a male in my life that was so easy to talk to. And I have communication issues. You know, I have, I mean, I brought so much baggage with me and you have been able to navigate that so beautifully and get things out of me that i've never shared with anybody so easily um, because you communicate so well and i mean i've told you that before like you are so easy to talk to so easy to live with so easy to be around
1: i don't know how much of that is the ability to communicate well maybe there's some of that i hope so but i i know because it was easy for me to talk to you right and i think more than just communication it was that easy, or right away. I knew that you weren't going to judge me. I felt like you didn't have any judgment towards me, regardless of anything I confessed, any secrets, any fantasies, any, anything I haven't told people before. I mean, it's, it's strange that it was harder. It is still harder for me to tell somebody I'm an atheist than it is for me to tell people that I fuck other women. Yeah, it's <laughs> that, just, yeah. So but I never struggled to tell you any of that stuff. Right. I mean, it was it, like you say, it was easy. And I don't know that it was great communication skills as much as it was just I had the confidence that you were going to hear what I had to say and love me no matter what. Right. And uh, I felt the same about you. I didn't I just wanted to know who you really were, everything about you. And none of it mattered in a negative way. Right. It only made me care for you more, more open. I felt. you were Yeah. Anybody.
0: Yeah. I think. For people who are in relationships, because we can spot it now when somebody's in a relationship and you just heart feels heavy for them because they can't talk to their partner openly about their fantasies, about their wants, their desires, their whatever, share their past with them. But we've also met people in the lifestyle who have been married for 26 years, say, and just in the last three or four years have gotten into the lifestyle because they made a decision like, okay, either we end this relationship or we're going to have to start being transparent with each other. Um, What is it about the lifestyle? Do you think that makes relationships better or do you? Uh,
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think it can destroy a relationship. It's possible. I think if you come into this with a bad foundation, poor communication, insecurities, jealousies, and a lot of baggage, then you're probably walking into a war zone that you're not going to make it out of. But that wasn't the case for us. Everything has been so easy that, you know, as far as our relationship goes, it's always been really easy, Uh, which begs the question, then why do it at all? Right. So great. You know, why would you do it at all? But it's a difficult question to answer, but I know that when we, uh, for, for us, for, well, let me say for me, yeah, uh, for me, the relationships that we have with people, uh, the sexual encounters that we have with people are always, for me, more than just transactional sex. Yeah. I thought that's what it was going to be. That's what I said I wanted. I did, you know, we, we yeah. joked that we don't care if we know their names, just if they're hot and they'll have sex with us, let's go. <laughs> um, and, I, and we tried that for a little bit, but it got boring.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it wasn't, there wasn't much to that that was fulfilling for me. Uh, I, I have great sex with you and I could have great sex anytime I want. Yeah. What I can't, but what, what you can't mimic in your primary partnership is that, is is new connections i mean you you get new connections and so for me when i uh get to have an experience with somebody else it it means something to me right not mean something in the way mine and your relationship means but it does mean something and I, you know, I lost in some ways religion does that. It gives you that sense of connection. Sure. Or maybe you're connecting outside to, of yourself, right? And... You're connecting to the bigger picture, to God, to something larger than yourself. Yeah. Right. Um, but I get those little connection points with all of these different people. I, mm-hmm. I, I still remember every, and I have a terrible memory. But I remember <laughs> every person I've ever had any kind of sexual experience with, and I can remember how they made me feel yeah. and how, uh, you know what kind of enjoyment, or maybe it didn't go well, yeah. but I remember all of those things. And it, I, this, I, this sounds so hokey and I don't really mean it this way, but I can't think of better language. It's somewhat religious yeah. or spiritual. probably right? Is a better yeah. term.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I love making those connections with new people. I love having those butterflies from that new relationship energy with somebody you've just met. And I think that when I have a great experience like that, it then funnels its way back into our relationship right. as long as all of that goes well, then you and I get to talk about it and, and relive it and and it re reenergizes our relationship and keeps things fresh and you know we don't have a b- boring stale sexual relationship right it's it's constantly feeling uh, re-energized and exciting and I think it's even more so when we're frequently getting to experience that with other people. Right. I don't know. (laughs) How'd that sound? That sounded
0: good. (laughs) All right. So next question. Um, What now? What is your five years? What is your dream? Where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? Where do you want this to bring us?
1: Well, I love the freedom that we get from the lifestyle. I love the relational freedom that I feel like we have, where we give each other space to do things that most people will never get to experience. But I also now value freedom in our non-sexual life as well. My hope is that Naughty Jump continues to grow and progress in the way that it is and that we can more travel and that we can see and meet more people, that we can host more events and help other people make those kinds of connections over and over because uh, that is the most fulfilling part of this. You know, Naughty Gym, the platform itself where we give people workouts and nutritional advice and that sort of stuff is great as well, but nothing can replace face-to-face meetings with people. And so when we've done our trips, like our adventure travel and stuff, where we're, we're going hiking or running a Spartan race with other lifestyle people, man, that is so much fun to do it with people that you don't have to hide any aspect of yourself.
0: Like. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: so my hope is that this becomes uh, big enough that we can do that on a full time basis and just travel and, and keep yeah. making connections. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I've said this, from the very beginning, you are the smartest man I've ever met and your creative brain. I can't even understand like some of the creative, all of the big ideas that we have are yours. start with your ideas come out of that yeah,
1: and all the beautiful nugget. <laughs> there's, there's a lot more bad ones than there are good ones.
0: Well, and- you have 20 ideas. Every hour. (laughs) But that's what you're good at is
1: filtering through BS and and finding the the (laughs) pearls that are in there. Because there's a lot of bullshit ideas that come up. They all sound good to me. Yeah. When I have the idea, I'm like, hey, there's something else we should do. And you go, huh, that's great, Scott. Um, Let's go get some lunch. And just think (laughs) that went through a little bit more.
0: (laughs) Well, is there anything that we've skipped over that you want to touch on?
1: Um, No. You know, I, I would say I I, I do wish uh, I, I'm backtracking here yeah. a little bit, but I regret. The biggest regret I have about being in the lifestyle is the loss of connection that I have to a large part of my family. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm still close with my mom and my brother and uh, my children and grandchildren. Yeah. And that's enough. Right. Uh, because in some sense, I've replaced a lot of those family connections with these wonderful friendships that we've made really all over the world. Right. Um, But I do miss my family and I don't really hold out much hope that, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's ever going to get fixed. And I understand that because they have the beliefs that they have, they, they're never going to feel comfortable with me being part of their life. again. I understand that. Uh, but it's still, you know, it hurts when I think about it.
0: Yeah. I think that's the hard, been the hardest part for me is watching you kind of suffer with that. Um, and still, because you're such a kind and loving person, you give them the benefit of the doubt and you talk about them with such kindness and such love, which infuriates me <laughs> because I feel so fiercely protective of you. And it hurts me so much to see you hurting because of that loss. Um, and I think they're horrible people <laughs> because of that. And I know you don't. And I know you don't. You will continue to protect them to your dying well, I day. Think,
1: I think it was what I want people to know is if you, I know anybody listening to show is probably already in some sort of content, consensual non-monogamous relationship. But on the off chance that somebody's not and you know somebody that is and you struggle understanding why they do what they do before you write them off or before you think horrible thoughts about them, have the courage to go have a conversation with them and ask them why they do what they do. How is their life going? And instead of just presuming that you know anything about the life they're living, because we are happy and fulfilled and my life feels overflowing with joy and happiness that it didn't have before. And, uh, You know, I wish any of my family uh, that wants to know why we've made the decisions we've made in our life um, would come and have a conversation. But that's never happened. Yeah. I don't expect that it will.
0: And we do have a life of joy. And that's not to say we don't have struggles because we have the same struggles everybody else has. But um, we'd give it all up and start all over again the same way if we had to do it all over again.
1: Yeah. I uh... I've had two big moments in my life that um, are probably the things I think back about that. You know, I got a girl pregnant at 17 and had a daughter, mm-hmm. eventually had another daughter. And then in my early forties, I had an affair. Right. And those are two pivotal, mo- pivotal moments that I still have guilt about. And I believe they were Well, I don't now that I think about it, the you know, the getting a girl pregnant while not wise when you're seventeen, I don't feel morally culpable for something really anymore, but I still feel some guilt about it. But I do feel like what you and I did were wrong. Mm It's wrong. Yet I can't I don't have any regrets for either of those. I have two daughters that I love and have a tremendous relationship with and through them grandchildren I love and I have this relationship. Uh, they have not started the way it should have. I mean, I would, like you say, I'd do it all over again. Yeah. If the only way I could get to here is to do it the way I did it, despite the fact that I think it was wrong, I'd do it again.
0: Yeah, I would too. Oh. Uh, Okay. <laughs> Well, we are going to keep moving forward and um, fleshing out these creative genius ideas that come out of your <laughs> noggin. And
1: um, well, yeah, and the rest of the episodes will not be <laughs> like this. You know, we're going to talk to experts around the country. We'll talk to ourselves. We'll we'll have all kinds of topics that we hope will help you, uh, the listener, <laughs> improve your life in consensual non-monogamy if that's the route you choose to
0: what we wanted to highlight was that we are normal people living normal lives that have had real you know we have real families we've made real mistakes we've loved we've cried we've um done stupid things but here we are um and we just really hope to help foster connections with other people and help people have better relationships and better health and better sex and just improve lives.
1: And so if there's anything we can do to help, you know, if you need workout advice, join our community. It's really inexpensive for what you get. If you want to travel with us, come on a trip. If you just want our advice, message us. I don't know. We're not great at getting back. To, to <laughs> yeah, message. But
0: you can reach us at NaughtyGym.com <laughs> or you can email us at naughtygymonline@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We're pretty accessible. Uh, But other than that, that is the rest of the story. And uh, we will talk to you next time.
1: Thanks, guys.